Welcome to episode 12 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we are finishing up a mini-series on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, there are four extremely similar references to this, all taken from Deuteronomy 6, 4-6, through 6, also referenced again in Matthew 22, 37-40, Mark 12, 30-31, and Luke 10, 27. I'll give you the reference from Mark here. Now in Mark, when asked by a teacher of religious law about the most important commandment, Jesus said, starting in verse 29, Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus talks again about loving your neighbor several times in scripture, but it's affirmed in John 15, 12. We'll talk about loving your neighbor and other people later in the podcast. Today, we're going to focus on loving the Lord your God with all your strength. If you're interested in the other three, I have previous podcast episodes discussing those that you can check out as well. As I said, today we'll be discussing loving the Lord your God with all your strength. Let's go ahead and get started. Hey Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Catherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at scripture beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator and hoping for some good old fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know, I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. As always, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you meet us exactly where we're at. Thank you that even though we fail all the time to love you the way that we're designed to love you, that you have so much grace and mercy for us. I pray that you would increase our capacity to love you with all of our strength and that you would help bring to mind instances where we have experienced that, loving you with all of our strength, and that you would help us continue to do that and to learn more about what that looks like. Please speak through me and please minister to my heart and the hearts of all the women listening. Thank you for your love and the strength that it has as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So as usual, I went ahead and checked out a little more about the meaning of strength in this verse, the reference being to the Deuteronomy 6 passage. And I noticed when I was looking it up that sometimes strength is actually translated as might in different versions of the Bible. So the one I was reading from is from the New Living Translation or NLT. But when I looked in other translations, such as the King James Version or KJV, It was translated as might, so loving the Lord your God with all your might. I thought for a while about this, and the first thing I think that comes to mind when I think of, you know, giving your whole strength, your whole might to something, is like when someone is trying to lift 
or maybe deadlift very heavy weights. And at first I was like, well, that's kind of a silly thought, you know, that's not really directly a good comparison for this. But once I thought about it a little more, I think it actually is in some ways a good comparison because it requires so much focus and concentration and practice and effort to be able to lift very heavy weights. And I think that reflects in a lot of ways what is meant by this passage to love God with all of our strength, with all of our might, with all that we are. It gives our whole concentration and effort towards something. I also went to the Strong's definition of strength as used in this verse. Now, Strong's had a few definitions, and I'll just kind of read some of them to you. They're mostly synonyms. So it had muchness, force, abundance, exceedingly, to express the idea of exceedingly, greatly, very. I think it helps to kind of substitute these words in here. Do we love God exceedingly? abundantly, forcefully, greatly. In other words, do we love God with all that we have, with all of our ability to love? That is a huge challenge. Honestly, it is really hard to love anyone that way. It is hard to love God that way. It's a big challenge and we're commanded to do this in scripture. So I think it's interesting to kind of dive a little deeper into what this can look like. Upon more reflection, I thought, You know, maybe we have moments where this happens to us, moments where we really do love God with all that we are. And I think it probably looks different for everybody. And I think it's also hard to sustain this. It's hard to constantly be in this state. When I thought about this, I thought, okay, what are some different ways this could feel and look like? Some common themes might be feeling almost overwhelmed by your love for him. For me, this has happened at church services, especially during worship, when you just like completely lose yourself in a song when you're worshiping God. Sometimes there can be tears, there can be deep emotion and deep affection as you think about God and who he is and what he's done. Sometimes it has happened for me at spiritual retreats, either kind of low-key ones that are just a you know Saturday afternoon with friends or ones that have been church-wide. It has happened for me during quiet times when I'm just praying and thinking about him. Often it comes when I'm thinking about his qualities and who he is or ways that he's shown up for me and ways that he's shown me deep and abiding love and deep security and deep provision. It just overwhelms me. It can be having such closeness and affection for him that you almost don't even, you're not even like aware of what your own needs are. They take a back seat for just a short period of time, usually, at least for me, and they don't concern me. And I'm so focused on him that I'm not really aware of my surroundings or I'm not really aware of my own needs, maybe hunger, thirst, whatever, because I feel so sustained by being in his presence and by giving him my full attention and my full strength of love, my full focus. And I think it's very interconnected with that idea of worship the idea of focus, the idea of giving him all that we have without any kind of filter or hesitancy or restraint. 
for me, sometimes these moments come out of nowhere. I'm not like going into them thinking, I'm going to love God with all my strength right now. It's more like a natural progression out of my gratitude or out of my worship. Or sometimes God just takes me by surprise. Or sometimes I'm reading about him and I feel overwhelmed. These moments for me are not frequent, I would say, but they are very powerful. So today I wanted to go into what are some different ways to love the Lord your God with all your strength. And for this, we're going to go to a passage. For me, it's one of my favorites, but it's also full of so much to wrestle with. And we're not going to wrestle with everything in the passage. There's too much and it's not within the scope of what we're doing today. We're just going to be looking at a few key things, but it is such an interesting passage and one that I have read many times and pondered many times, and I would encourage you to do so as well, because it definitely is one of those moments in the Old Testament that are both full of a lot of instruction and joy, but also a lot of maybe uncertainty and questioning and doubt. You'll see what I mean in just a second when I read it. It is 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. The reason I like this translation really just goes back to It's very approachable. It's very easy to understand. It's put into more modern day language. And I think that's really useful, though sometimes I do reference other versions as well. And I like to kind of compare them sometimes. Today, we're really going to focus on just the New Living Translation version. We're going to be talking about King David. He's the main subject in this passage. And I just, sorry, another side note. I find him very fascinating as a person. He is so, so, so deeply flawed. And also so, so, so chosen and used by the Lord that it blows my mind. I think his life story is very encouraging and also very challenging. So he just fascinates me. I should mention that prior to 2 Samuel 6, David has recently been made king over Israel. And he has defeated the Philistines and he has kind of unified everybody. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, into his home, the city of David. And it's a really big moment because it had been lost for a while. And so this is where the scene picks up here in chapter 6. He's in the process of bringing the Ark of God back to the Israelites and the city of David. So chapter 6 of 2 Samuel begins verse 1. Then David again gathered all the elite troops of Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bela of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of the Heaven's Armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and studied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the Ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place Perezuzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring back the Ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the Ark of the Lord into the city of David. 
Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel and the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Wow, what a passage. And like I said, there is a lot in there to wrestle with. There is Michael remaining childless to wrestle with. We're not going to get that today. Um, There's also Uzzah being struck dead because he touched the Ark of the Lord, which was a very, very holy object and contained the Ten Commandments within it. It was very important to Israel and it was very holy to God. And so that was a big deal. But we're not going to get into the details of that. Instead, we're really going to focus on David dancing for the Lord with all of his might, showing deep worship. And David is a very complex person, like I've mentioned before. There are tons of things about him that are beautiful and wonderful and should be noted and celebrated. And there are also tons of things about him that should be noted as a warning (laughs) because he was a very deeply flawed person. He is noted as being someone who was after God's own heart. So I think it's important that we note that and we see this here, that we see his love, his genuine love for the Lord and take a few notes on that. So I am just going to note six things that I noticed in this chapter about just observations about what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your strength. The first thing is that it looks like worship, praise, and focus on him, meaning God. And it's without regard to ourselves. You know, in episode five of this podcast, I go more into what it means to worship God and why we worship God. And so if you're interested in that, you can learn more in episode five. But again, here I want to mention that there's almost this feeling of being consumed by God rather than self. 
David is dancing in front of everyone and his heart is on the Lord. He's, his heart is not on what people are thinking about him. If he's being a distinguished King, how, you know, this is going to affect his political life. His heart really is on God and God did call him a man after God's own heart. He said that in in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and it's affirmed again in the New Testament when Paul is speaking in Acts 13, 22. And if God is calling someone, a man or a woman after his own heart, that should really indicate us that we need to pay attention. And this is one of those beautiful moments that I see David so consumed by praising, worshiping, and focusing on God without regard to ourselves. How often do we do this without regard to time, where we are, what we're doing? How often do we pause and celebrate and worship and praise God? How often do we recognize his holiness and his beauty and his provision for us? And how often are we overwhelmed by that? Something to think about for sure. Second, loving the Lord with all your strength looks like checking your fears at the door and focusing on God instead. David was afraid. He was afraid of bringing the most holy object of the time, the Ark of the Covenant, home to his city, the city of David, because of Uzzah's death. Which, by the way, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right, so just ignore it if I'm not. But Uzzah died because he had touched the Ark of the Covenant, and it says that David was afraid. He waited three whole months to get over his fear. And then once it was actually blessing someone else, he was convinced that it was safe to bring the Ark of the Covenant into his own city. I mean, come on, David. <laughs> Again, this, this really shows David's hesitation and that he's just as human as the rest of us. He's just as flawed. He's not this guy that we should look to as the ultimate example of what it is to be perfect because he's not perfect. But we can learn a lot about his life. The only one that we can look at as our example of perfection is Jesus. David, though, in order to bring the ark home, he had to check his fears at the door and he had to decide instead that it was worth bringing this holy object that signified God's presence with his people into the heart of where his people were living, to the city of David, where David was making his home. And once he got over it, once he got past this fear... He celebrated like crazy. He threw a crazy celebration. Everyone's there. They're celebrating. They're praising. There's music going on. There's dancing going on. There's sacrifice going on. There's a huge significance to what's happening, a huge celebration going on amongst the Israelites. And David's really leading that with his heart. And his heart is so focused on God that his fear isn't overwhelming him and stopping him from action in what he's called to do, which is bringing the ark home. So even when we have those fears and they, they prevent us from worshiping God and loving him in the way that we're designed to do, we check those fears at the door. We're able to move past those when we focus fully on God. Those fears will fade into the background and we'll refocus on God who has our ultimate best interest at heart and knows what our hearts and souls desire. And we can focus on giving him our attention, focus, love, worship, praise. The third thing I noticed is loving the Lord your God with all your strength looks like sacrifice. David sacrificed animals, a lot of animals it sounds like. He also sacrifices his own kingly image. 
for the sake of worshiping God. He sacrifices a physical sacrifice and also perhaps maybe a political sacrifice of his own, of maybe setting aside how he would appear to the Israelites and maybe being ashamed and humiliated and instead giving his full attention and and focus to sacrificing for the Lord. Maybe that would have cost David. It sounds like it didn't really cost him much in terms of how he appeared before the people, except for with his first wife, Michael. But he was willing to sacrifice that and make that decision to show that the king ultimately is the one responsible to answering to God. And so are we. We are not above answering to God. We have got to set aside our own agendas in favor of his will. And that's scary. That's something that I've been really kind of wrestling with recently is that I want my will to be done. I want to my life to look the way that I want it to look. I want to worship God the way I'm comfortable with. I want to live my life in a comfortable way. But I don't really. Like when I really sit back and think about it, I want my life to be adventurous. An adventure for God. I want it to look like me following him and choosing to sacrifice when he tells me to sacrifice. And that can include sacrificing physical things, giving them up, maybe idols in my life, but also it can look like giving up my image, how I think others should view me, my pride, my comfort, giving up my fears. We have to live obedient and sacrificial life to be living in alignment with God's will and plan for us. And he'll tell you what those things are that he wants you to give up in favor of trusting him. The fourth thing I realized is that loving the Lord your God with all your strength looks like forgetting the opinions of others. Ooh, is this a hard one? A lot of us think that we don't actually care what other people think, but we really do. (laughs) It's really hard not to. And when David is dancing and he is like full dancing, he is dancing so hard that he is maybe exposing parts of himself that most people don't want to see. And as he's doing this, he doesn't give regard to that in terms of, oh, the opinions of other people are more important than the opinion of God. In that moment, to me, it looks like at least he is fully giving all of his focus and attention to God and values that higher than the opinions of other people, higher than his subjects, higher than his wife, higher than anyone else. He respects the opinion of God and wants to show God how much he loves him, which is really cool. And it's actually that heart, that love, that desire, that's so raw to love God and show him that love is why I like David so much. He's such an interesting person and it really shows the rawness of how he's after God's heart. Even when Michael questions him, he still defends himself. He says, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel and the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes. And I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. He doesn't care what Michael thinks. And actually part of that kind of shows what a not so great husband David was to Michael. There's so much history behind their relationship. You can go back through First and Second Samuel and read about it. He really treats her poorly like the entire time. She's the first woman that he ever married. He had many wives. She was raised in a royal household. She's the daughter of Saul, who was the king before David. And she knows what it looks like to be distinguished. 
to to how a king traditionally would conduct himself in order to show how distinguished a king should be and to bring dignity to the role. And David just kind of throws that out the window. He's like, you know what? I'm going to dance before God because God is the one who put me here. God is the one who made me the leader and got rid of your father and instead put me in as king. And I'm willing to look foolish for him. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to worship him and show him my full devotion. Pretty incredible. The fifth thing I notice is that loving the Lord your God with all your strength looks like generosity. Yeah, I think when we're really focused on loving God with all that we are, with all of our efforts, with all of our abundance, the things that we hold onto so deeply are things that we don't necessarily want to hold on to once we've experienced that kind of love for him. We can have more open hands towards our resources and the possessions that God has given us, maybe towards our wealth and our money. And I see this in the passage when David's response after this whole celebration is to quote it in verse 19 here. He then gave every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. David not only sacrifices burnt offerings, peace offerings, he sacrifices bulls. He's willing to give up some of his possessions here as king, but he also gives to his own people. He gives them food to eat. He makes sure that every man and woman in the crowd has something to eat, and quite a bit. And there's probably a lot of people in this crowd. And I'm not saying, oh, this made him destitute and poor, but it does show his generosity. After all this celebration, after all this dancing and worshiping and praising of the Lord, his next response is to give to his own people, all of them, and probably some of them were poor. He also, it says in verse 20, returns home to bless his own family. And that's when he and Michael have this whole confrontation. I think, though, that this scene really shows that when we focus on God, the things that we hold so dearly, our possessions and our wealth, become less important and we can sacrifice those to the Lord and and give them as generously with open hands as God would have us do. The sixth thing I notice is that loving the Lord your God with all your strength does not look like being perfect. As I've mentioned several times, David was far, far, far from perfect. Not only was he afraid of the ark and not willing to bring it, such an important object, into the actual city of David, but his treatment of Michael throughout first and second Samuel is really bad. He committed adultery. You know, he also committed murder. He also was not very good at raising his children. He certainly didn't discipline them when they deserved it. There was all kinds of horrible things his children did that they did not face consequences for. David was very, very, very flawed. But also, this reminds us that just because we are deeply flawed and we are deeply, deeply sinful and we are every bit as sinful as David, we can still experience God's love and we can still love God too. God still has mercy and grace for us. And ultimately, this is fulfilled in how we are covered by the blood of Jesus, how Jesus has died for our sins, taken them on for us and paid for them with his own life. He did that for us. And so we get to live in freedom because of the deep sacrifice that Jesus made for us out of his own love for us and out of obedience to his father. 
We don't have to be perfect to love God. And we shouldn't idolize people like David in the Bible. We shouldn't do it. The only person in all of scripture that we should look to as an example is Jesus, who lived a perfect life and sacrificed it, gave it all up in order to love us so perfectly. We are covered in mercy. We are covered in grace. We are covered in love. And out of response to that, we love God with all of our strength. What a beautiful thing and something that we continue to work on and work towards by God's grace. All right, to summarize, in 2 Samuel 6, we we can learn that David worshiped God with all that he was. And this can look like worship, praise, and focus on him. It can look like checking our fears at the door and focusing on God. It can look like sacrifice. It can look like forgetting the opinions of other people. It can look like generosity out of response to our love for God. And it does not look like being perfect. It looks like trusting the one who lived the perfect life for us. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for how much you love us, even though we are so deeply flawed, even though we get distracted by so many things, even though our hearts wander and we love other things with our strength. I pray that we would come closer to you, that we would see your love and your grace in the way that you have loved us over so much time and over every moment of our lives. And I pray that our response to you would be one of gratitude and absolute pure love with all that we have exceedingly abundantly. Please show up in our lives. Help us to experience you on deeper and deeper levels. We love you so much in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for joining. I'll chat with you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.